0: A science story,
1: huh? Is NYU a scientist? Uh, no, I, it felt, felt, I felt goodness. right. I was so and happy. I just thought, oh, well... I figured it, out. I
0: feel it was so that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey
1: everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. We have two shows this week. April 18th, that's Wednesday, we're in Brooklyn at Union Hall for stories of travel. Friday, April 20th, with the Nexus Conference, we'll have a night of science storytelling at 92Y Tribeca in Manhattan. And for those of you in Boston, on April 24th, we'll be there for the Cambridge Science Festival. More about all of those at our website, storycollider.org. This week's story is from David Gellis. David is the US media and marketing correspondent for the Financial Times, where he writes about television, publishing, sports, and advertising. In recent years, he's interviewed world-changing entrepreneurs, including Mark Zuckerberg in Silicon Valley and Bernie Madoff in prison. The story was recorded in January 2012 at Union Hall in Brooklyn.
0: So I am an only child. And for five critical years in there, from about the time I was five to 10, I was raised mostly by my mom. And she was a working mom, which meant she spent most of her time at the office, which meant that for most of my time, I was largely unsupervised. And as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, even then I knew how to get into trouble. I always told her what I was gonna do. So I would say, Mom, you know, it's Monday, I'm gonna go play kick the can with my friends until midnight, she would always say, have fun, be safe. On the weekends, I would say, Mom, I'm gonna go to the old abandoned bridge in the park and jump into the river with my friends. Have fun, be safe. I would say, Mom, I'm gonna go to Mark's house. And Mark was the kid that everyone knew was maybe into drugs a little prematurely, <laughs> played with knives, and maybe it started the fire. Have fun, be safe. You could say she maybe had a bit too much faith in my well-being, as if whatever happened The natural world was magically going to take care of me. And for the most part, it worked. And then when I was 10, my mom was invited to New Zealand for three weeks. She thought this would be a great opportunity to take me on my first international trip. We'd get to spend some time together. And I said, okay, because while I didn't know exactly where New Zealand was, a 10-year-old would do absolutely anything and go absolutely anywhere to get out of school for three weeks. (laughs) And so we got there. But when we got to Auckland, it was more of the same. She was there for work. And so instead of me kind of shadowing her, seeing what we were gonna do for the day, she gave me two pockets full of quarters and dropped me off at the nearest video arcade. She asked this sketchy guy at the candy counter to look after me and said, I'll be back in six hours. Have fun, be safe. So instead of learning about the Maori, I played Mortal Kombat for a week. But then she finally got a free day. And we traveled from Auckland down to the South Island of New Zealand to a small uh, town called Kayakura on the southern coast. And as we're walking around town that day, deciding what to do, we see the sign right on the roadside. It says, swim with dolphins. And having been cooped up in an arcade for a week, I thought that sounded like a good idea. So before too long, mom and I are at this little boat shack and we suit up in wetsuits and get our masks and snorkels and some flippers, but no life vests. And then soon we're on a boat with a couple other tourists who are all suited up. And with this captain, this open top boat, we're zooming out into the, Pacific, uh, the, to the Southern Ocean, excuse me. And now I didn't know anything about dolphins at the time, except that hopefully they weren't in my tuna fish sandwiches. But as we're driving out there, the captain starts telling us about the dolphins we're gonna encounter. He explains to us that these are dusky dolphins. They're indigenous to the southern coast of New Zealand. And they have a couple unique attributes. They're very acrobatic, he says. So they'll jump all around. They're particularly playful. He explains to us that dolphins see in sonar. And because of that, they kind of have a hierarchy of humans who they like to hang out with. They're less comfortable around grown men. They feel a little threatened. They're a little more comfortable around women. And they tend to like children. So depending on where you are on that spectrum, you might either get a little more or a little less face time with these dolphins. And then he tells us one more thing. He says, this is the last trip of the day because a storm is coming. Don't worry, we'll be fine. But we're going to do our dives and get back on shore pretty quickly. So finally, a couple miles off coast, we rendezvous with this pod of 100 or so dusky dolphins. And it doesn't look like much from the boat just a couple fins slicing through the dark water. And he says, all right, get ready, hop in, five minutes for your first dive. And so mom and I jump off the boat, and there we are in the Southern Ocean. And it was a little scary at first. Even though it was relatively calm, you could feel the ocean swaying you back and forth. And you're so far out there that the floor of the ocean is nowhere to be seen. But then finally, we started observing what was around us, and sure enough, there were a handful of dolphins. And I don't know if any of you in the audience have ever swam with dolphins, but it's fucking amazing. (laughs) These things are everywhere, and they're just zipping by you, and they're real dolphins. And as a 10-year-old, this was miraculous. And there's one, and then the other, and Mom and I are with the other people from the boat, and we just kind of bob there, and maybe we paddle a little this way, paddle a little that way, And I remember I had this little disposable plastic camera and I would put it up to my eye and look through the lens and a whole dolphin head would fill the frame as if it was right up against the window. And after five minutes, finally, captain called us back on the boat. Back on the boat, heated up with some tea and some hot cocoa, talked about how amazing it was. And then he said, all right, second dive, 10 minutes. Everyone jumps back in the boat, same thing paddling around with a group, just extraordinary. Dolphins everywhere, lovely time, and I'm starting finally to feel a little comfortable. It was a little less scary, the second dive. After 10 minutes, back on the boat, warm up with some tea and hot cocoa, and he says, finally, last dive, 15 minutes. He says, 15 minutes, we're back on the boat, we're headed in. Now my mom at this point says, I'm not gonna go. See, she had had both of her knees replaced already, and the cold was finally starting to get to her. She could feel the weather changing. It just wasn't a good idea. So she said, stay with the group, 15 minutes back on the boat, have fun, be safe. (laughs) I jump in. And this time, I figure, I've been out with these guys for five minutes, 10 minutes, this is just 15 minutes. I'm just gonna let it loose and hang out with these guys. So I start swimming, I start paddling. And dolphins kind of swim over there, and they swim over there. And I'm finally just totally relaxed. I'm just swimming with them. And I'm so comfortable, I don't even have to take my head up. I'm just breathing through my snorkel. And finally, after you know swimming with them for what I figure has been 15 minutes now, I pop my head above the water, ready to get back on the boat. And there's no boat. The sky had gotten darker. The waves had gotten a bit bigger. And I suddenly realized that the situation was changing very quickly. A wave hit me in the face and I ingested a little salt water and started coughing and panic started to set in pretty quickly. And I start thrashing around looking for the boat and it's still nowhere to be found and I'm kind of turning this way and that expending uh, valuable energy and I realize how cold I am and I realize that I'm starting to get tired because I'm 10 years old and I've been swimming in the Southern Ocean for 30 minutes now. And I also realize this would have been a good time to have that life vest that we didn't have. But still no boat. But then I notice there's still a couple dolphins around. And then something happens. First one dolphin buzzes me. And then another dolphin buzzes me. And then a third and a fourth. And there are suddenly enough around me that I start to at least pause and reassess the situation and try to understand what's going on. Because suddenly there's a handful of them and they're swimming in a circle around me. And they've actually corralled me. and it, It calmed me down enough that my breathing settled down, at least. And I was more attuned to what the dolphins were doing than to my own predicament. And then something else happened. First, one of these dusky dolphins jumped. And then another jumped. And then a third and a fourth. And as a few of them corralled me, others started a fountain into the air. I didn't know it, but back on the boat, it had been 20 minutes. Everyone else was back. My mom was in an absolute panic because she had let her only son swim into the Southern Ocean with a pot of dolphins and no life chest and no adult supervision as a storm approached from Antarctica. <laughs> the captain, luckily, had a more level head. He handed out binoculars and he told everyone on the boat find me dolphins everyone started looking scanning the ocean and finally someone saw dolphins about 50 yards away jumping above the waves they said over there captain threw the boat into gear started motoring in my direction before long i heard the motor approaching the dolphins scattered and stopped jumping and i climbed onto the boat and into my mother's arms and she had probably never squeezed anything so tightly in her life (laughs) I was finally like, Mom, stop, I'm back. (laughs) And it was the first time while I was out there as a 10-year-old that I really realized I could die, that I realized my fate was not in my own hands, and at that point the ocean had me. But I think it was also the first time my mom realized just what she had done. She finally got it that it wasn't nature's job to magically protect me, it was hers. And she never really let that go. I'm 32 now, and I probably get 10 texts a day from my mother. (laughs) Are you okay? I'm at work. (laughs) And so on. She never got overprotective. And she's always let me do whatever I want to do. But when I tell her, Mom, I'm going to climb a mountain with some friends, or Mom, I'm going to travel through Vietnam for a couple weeks, she still always says the same thing. She says, have fun, hun, but for God's sake, be safe. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: That was David Gellis. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, Luke David, David Gaines, and Raffaella Benin. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Abraham Lincoln for letting me walk around him at his memorial the other day. Thanks for listening.